Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. In 1986, Annie and Jessica Andrews started to hear soft voices and strange knocking in their home that lasted for months until messages written in blood and apparitions began to appear around the home. The events that followed led to three people being murdered and the horrifying truth was brought to light. I'm your host, DJ, and this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast. On the night of December 1st, 1987, Andrew Gustafan was coming home from work, only to find the most harrowing sight of his life. Andrew discovered his wife, Priscilla, 33, and pregnant with child, laying face down in her bed, with blood spattered on the walls. With evidence of rape and multiple gunshot wounds to the head at point-blank range, Andrew Gustafan called the police, who then discovered the bodies of his two children. Five-year-old William, who had been drowned in a bathroom, and eight-year-old Abigail, who endured the same fate. This is just the sad ending to a tale of jealousy and delusion, and that would put one Danny LaPlante in the face of justice. Much of the information gathered for this case involved uh, numerous internet searching through Wiki, but I come across a uh, book coming out soon called The Boy in the Walls by Joe Turner, uh, he did many, uh, much of the research involved in this case, um, and in doing so, with his work in the book, he's actually talked with several more people who have been involved with uh, Danny LaPlante, the one who uh, committed the murders and the rape, as well as uh, talking to some of the victims. So again, a huge shout out to Joe Turner for his work, and be sure to pick up his book, uh, The Boy in the Walls. I will leave a link in the description show notes as well as other various articles that I've read about this case because it is truly a bizarre case. So in the beginning, some backstory on Daniel LaPlante. He was born in 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts, reportedly suffered traumatic childhood where he suffered uh, emotional and sexual abuse regularly from his father and multiple other adults in his life. So pretty much growing up in this troubled existence, every aspect of his young life was uh, rocky, to say the least. He also struggled in school quite a bit. He was emotionally and socially awkward. In addition, he was also diagnosed with dyslexia at a very young age. Most of his classmates in his high school he went to would describe him as being weird, as well as in his early teenage years, school officials would actually reach out to psychiatrists due to his abnormal behavior and general reluctance to even participate, um, having general hygiene issues, so again with the social awkwardness. However, there was one particular incident that was uh, instrumental in LaPlante's life being following these tragic circumstances. LaPlante was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder, and that coexisting with his dyslexia diagnosis and his already socially awkwardness, it didn't help. Uh, with his social standing either at home or in school. Uh, The psychiatrist was assigned to him actually really took a dark turn. 
the psychiatrist started to make sexual advances to LaPlante, and for the next following year, that psychiatrist sexually abused him during their sessions. So by the age of 15, his mind was already deteriorated enough. He was starting to break into people's homes, not only take their possessions, but he would also leave things behind. He would move things around the people's homes to kind of scare them. Uh, eventually, he started breaking into people's homes strictly with the purpose of playing mind games on people, which leads us into our introduction to the Andrews sisters, Annie and Jessica, who actually lost their mother due to cancer, leaving their father to care for them in 1986. It's not known how Danny came across the family's phone number. He most likely got it from when he burgled someone's house, but that cannot be confirmed. Now, Annie and Jessica Andrews are around the same age at this time as Danny. He began calling them and talking to them, describing, describing himself as a good-looking, athletic, uh, well-educated guy that lives in the area, basically catfishing these girls. And after he became well-acquainted with them off the several phone calls, they arranged a date. Now, when Andrews opened the door to LaPlante when he arrived did not look like anything like he described. Again, he described himself as an athletic jock type. That's what she was expecting. However, he showed up with greasy haired, not blonde, and no attractive features whatsoever, to her opinion. Regardless, they went to a local fair, and after about an hour together, she left uh, with an excuse and returned home. Now, it's important to note that during this date, Danny learned that Annie had lost her mother to cancer uh, recently, leaving their father again to care for them. Now, he took great interest in the details of the mother's death, which was a little bit more than curiosity, to say the least. And Annie later claimed that LaPlante was basically obsessed with the death of her mother, continually questioned how she felt about how she died, uh, what her what was running through her mind. Annie didn't really seem willing to tell Danny anything else. And Annie never seen him again. They didn't continue dating after that. Now, shaking him off, had some time had passed, and Annie and her sister had attempted to contact their deceased mother by performing a seance in their basement. Again, it was purely out of being teenagers and just trying to have a little fun. Uh, and weren't really expecting anything to happen. Uh, however, later that night, Jessica and Annie both said that they heard knocking against their bedroom walls as they slept. Uh, rhythmic at first, sometimes odd and random. However, it appeared as though that the girl's seance was successful because they believed it. They thought that that was their mother trying to contact them. They even went as far as to ask the spirit questions, which replied uh, via knocks against the wall. Now, this continued on for several nights uh, until the knocking became so regular that the girls uh, couldn't sleep over it. And over time, objects in the house began to move around and disappear. Sometimes things would be left on one table to find them uh, on another table the next day. The girls would also come home and find furniture had been moved. Eventually, Jessica and Annie believed that the house was being haunted, not by the spirit of their mother, but some sort of demon that they unwillingly let into the home. Now, the father, Brian Andrews, believed every, what every father would believe of typical teenagers, uh, that it was the girls doing it. He did not believe them whatsoever that there was any sort of supernatural anything going on. Uh, the girls claimed that, you know, they believed that something was happening, 
and they somehow allowed this ghost to come in, but Brian, of course, refused to believe such absurdity. Uh, instead, he highlighted the fact that it was most likely the daughter's emotional struggling with the dealing of their death, which would make sense, being it happened so recent. However, one evening in January 1987, the strange knocking had begun while Jessica and Annie were alone in the front room. At that point, however, the tapping had become so commonplace that the girls were just not paying attention to it. However, it seems that the noises were not coming from the walls anymore. They realized it was coming from their basement. So the two girls got their wits together, and they armed themselves with a kitchen knife and went downstairs. When they went downstairs, they didn't see anything at first. However, upon inspection with the lights on, they realized there was a message written in blood on the basement wall that says, I'm in your room, come and find me. If it was me, I'd be out of the house, period. I'd go to the neighbors, I'd call the police, I'm done. And it seems like the girls must have been listening to this very podcast because they did exactly the same thing. They ran from the house, zero hesitation, and went to a neighbor. They waited for their father to come home, and they told them what had happened. However, again, Brian said that they're most likely uh, the ones responsible for what they did in the basement, and he actually told them to clean it up. And if they were still adamant about still hearing voices and ghosts in the house, that they had to go some kind of counseling. Uh, he thought that would probably be the best source uh, for the struggle that they're going through and grieving and the loss of their mother. Now, several weeks had passed with no other real incidences happening, except after a while from the knocking sounds that were heard, they started to come from behind Annie's bedroom wall. And when the girls went into the room, they saw another message written in blood that said, I'm back, find me if you can. And exactly the same way before, the girls ran to the neighbor's house and called their father, who once again placed blame on Annie and Jessica. However, this time he said there had to be something going on in his mind, maybe father's intuition. So when he entered the house, he noticed that from when the girls described that the house been kind of tore up, it was even worse than they described. At that point, Brian began to suspect that someone probably was inside the house. Brian then entered Annie's room alone, and on the wall was painted, Marry Me. On the other side of the room, however, he saw something even more strange. He saw a boy standing dressed in Brian's deceased wife's clothing, wearing makeup smeared across his face, with a blonde wig on, and also holding a hatchet. That boy was Danny LaPlante. After a brief struggle, Danny was able to escape. Brian later recalls to the police on how Danny was able to disappear so fast. When the police were called again and to, led to investigate that same evening, it had become clear why Danny was able to vanish so fast. Upon discovering each message, it was not blood. It was written in ketchup. Local police searched the house to find any kind of clues on what, uh, how he was able to access the house. One of the officers found a hidden crawl space behind the cupboard in which that was built in Annie's room. 
The officer opened the hatch and he discovered Danny curled up inside of it, still wearing the dress and makeup on his face. The officers removed him from the crawl space and placed him under arrest. Uh, again, Danny would have been removed from the scene. Officers conducted a f- more thorough search in the house, and that, that's where they really discovered some of the most unsettling things. Uh, to their horror, they discovered that he had been living inside the walls of that home for an unspecified amount of time. There had been a passageway that they discovered Danny was using to tunnel around other areas of the home, behind the other bedrooms. Uh, There was a handful of peepholes that were dotted along the walls to watch Annie pretty much in any room that she was in. And it had become pretty clear that Danny, this 16-year-old boy, was pretending to be the ghost of Annie and Jessica's dead mother, just to mess with their minds. Now, the author goes on to say that he believes that LaPlante was planning to reveal himself to the girls while dressed as their dead mother, whether to genuinely pass himself off as a spirit or just to terrify him remains unknown. However, it was likely the latter, as he says. The fact that he was wielding a hatchet at the time also suggests that Annie and Jessica were probably going to meet their fate. So now Danny spends a year in juvenile hall where uh, he gets out in October 1987. Uh, Almost immediately upon getting out of jail, he goes back to burglaring houses. Uh, During one of his robberies in November, he obtained two handguns from one of these neighbors' households. And that brings us to December, where it is believed that Danny breaks into the home on December 1st and murders Priscilla and the two children. Now, it didn't take long for authorities to link the murders uh, to Danny. Police sought to apprehend him, and they found that he had already fled the area, but there was a massive manhunt that ensued. Danny was considered armed and dangerous, and according to the author, uh, there was no telling to the lengths on which he would avoid detection. Obviously, he was breaking into Annie's home and living inside the wall, so who knows uh, a few towns over from Townstead, uh, Danny broke into a woman's home and kidnapped her in a vehicle. Uh, so that's how the police actually end up finding him. She escaped, uh, but he was spotted by someone who had seen his photograph on the news, and the police discovered him hiding in a dumpster uh, less than two days uh, from when the manhunt began. When he was inspected, a hair belonging to Abigail, uh, the mother, was discovered on his sock, which pretty much concrete evidence that he uh, had some sort of involvement in the murder. A year later, Danny LaPlante was sentenced to three life sentences for the murder of the Gustafsson family. Now, since he's been arrested and has been spending time in prison, he's shown little to no remorse for his actions. He's clearly suffered from a massive amount of personality disorders, and he continues to show that he's just broken beyond repair. Uh, According to the author, from the years from 1988 to 2014, uh, Danny attempted to sue the courts multiple times for violations of his rights. Uh, According to one case, he claimed that the prison system violated his religious rights as he alleged that he was a practicing Satanist. Therefore, Danny claimed that he required sufficient materials in order to carry out Uh, specific satanic rites, but was denied by prison officials. Uh, In 2017, however, it seems that Danny may have finally come to terms with his actions, 
when, uh, while he was appealing for a reduced sentence, he made this statement, and I quote, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I've caused. From the very essence of who I am and from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. Are these really to be believed, though? Uh, for real. He had an extremely troubled childhood. He was breaking into people's homes, basically breaking into people's homes just to mess with them. Now, the stories continue on that uh, LaPlante's appeal was denied, and therefore he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail with no chance of any parole. LaPlante's final victim, the husband of Priscilla, Andrew, he had passed away in 2014. However, uh, he did, on his deathbed, allegedly claim to say, quote, don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison. Unfortunately, he didn't get to see uh, his family's killer be banished for life imprisonment for good. And thank goodness, though, right? This Danny LaPlante uh, is a very sick character, and he should not be let out. And that concludes our story. I thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all, uh, which will be notated in the show notes below. And also check the annotations for the upcoming book, The Boy in the Walls by Joe Turner. I'm looking forward to getting it myself when it comes out, and you should do the same. And once again, thank you for listening to the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Thank you very much for listening tonight and being part of the Mythical True Crime community, hosted by me, DJ. Subscribe to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get your weekly updates. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Subscribing will directly support the show and the work that I'm doing. If you'd like to be a new supporter, consider clicking the link in the description box below. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help me continue to make great content for listeners everywhere. No commitment, cancel any time. This has been the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night.